Welcome to Apparently Speaking, the podcast from Northeast Ohio Parent with your host, Miriam Connor. Hi, this is Miriam. Welcome to the latest episode of Apparently Speaking. Talking about fathers is a little bit bittersweet for me because as I've mentioned on previous shows, I never really had a really involved father or close relationship, but my kids do um, with my husband. So in that regard, I really do enjoy talking about fathers and I do know the importance of it. My guest today is going to talk about fatherhood from his experiences with his father, as well as his own experiences being a father. This episode is sponsored by Montrose Mazda Kent. They go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. Pastor Elliot Anderson is a dynamic teacher, coach, and counselor. He has mentored hundreds of leaders in hundreds of different arenas. Elliot has been a vice president of a university, head of a K-12 Christian school, a collegiate basketball and baseball coach, director of a wellness center, a crisis family therapist, a senior pastor, and is currently a professor of psychology and pastor to staff and faculty at Judson University. Elliot is an author, and he and his wife, Angie, are adoptive parents, biological parents, and foster parents. Welcome, Elliot. Welcome, Miriam. I just got tired listening to myself. I, me too. I'm like, how can That's you have lot. done? You're not old, so I'm not sure how you have done stuff. all of those things. And, and for your listeners, and there were there were other things. There are other things that I could have said too. Yeah, the ADHD is. Uh, and none of these are like and, they're all like big, like great things too. Yeah, I do love change and I love doing different stuff. But it, it's uh, fun to be on the show and great to reconnect with you as well. Definitely, definitely. And so you're going to talk today, you know, we're going to talk about fatherhood. And you had such a great father that you recently wrote a book about him called Simon Says Principles and Perspectives from Dr. Simon V. Anderson. And I love the title and I love the book. I read the whole book. And and as we were talking a little bit before, it was extra special for me because I do know your family. And so, and I, I have had the honor and privilege of, you know, meeting your dad. And so it was, it was really great to, to, read, you know, some of these stories about everybody. So it made it made it especially, you know, special for me. So I'm thank you for writing it. <laughs> yeah, it's no problem. And Miriam, though I like to write and, you know, I've written some other books, as you mentioned, and articles and things of that nature. This book was personal for me besides being attempting to be inspirational. And uh, it was cathartic and therapeutic and recognizing what a difficult past my father had and the decisions and choices he and my mother made to break legacies of addiction and abuse and to create healthy and holistic kids. Of course, we have our issues still, but healthy and holistic kids to really change legacies, lifetime of legacies in parenting. I love that you mentioned that because no matter what your background or what's happened in the past, that can be changed. Absolutely. That's a big part of my dad's philosophy that he taught more outwardly than he discussed his inward past. Many of the stories of abuse and neglect and sharp, sharp criticism and emasculation from his uh, father and other relatives, we really didn't hear about much until we started digging around afterwards. Yeah, it was a process of him dealing with his past and almost protecting us from some of those levels and those layers, though we recognized and saw separation and he'd comment on it you know, once in a while. But really his philosophies and the way he parented, he later told me as when I was adult, was really in direct contradiction to what he had received from his father. 
And that was a great example of you do not have to repeat patterns. You do not have to be just like your old man if he was not healthy and um, positive. It is amazing, though, to read, you know, what your father came from. And like you mentioned, some of those things, you know, that he went through in his background to become the man that he was and the father that he was and to have these these kids and grandkids that he he does. And so um, it really is quite remarkable. And I do love that his message is, you know, he was always positive and just and not in a fake way. You know, as you're reading, as I'm reading through the book, it's like, no, it's not it's not fake. It's really what he believed. And he he believed that, you know, like the first part of the book, first chapters get happy talking about attitude and perspective. And I love it because it's like it seems so simple or it could just seem, you know, like try it like, oh, just get happy. But there's a lot of truth to that. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's interesting, of course, that I became a therapist and then learned that many of his statements had tremendous uh, neuropsychological truth. And so this is part of uh, my background in faith as well, that the scriptures teach us whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is right, whatever is good, whatever is honorable. Think about these things and, and that we can be transformed in our mind through the power of Christ. And so my dad wouldn't preach it at us, but he would not tolerate bad attitudes very long at all. And if your perspective was one of, oh, I'm defeated and I can't do this and we're not going to be able to get this done. Uh, he would, with great exhortation, tell you to get happy, uh, and it was almost intimidating. Uh, but you know, later on, when I studied this stuff and recognized that our mental perspective, our approach to circumstances and to challenges and to even crisis and trauma, uh, significantly alters our brain and how it functions, operates, and truly can make the difference between our ability to cope and find the silver lining and find the appropriate perspective or getting so discouraged and so defeated that we truly walk away from something that really just needed a little bit more effort. So as a parent, you know, if you have a a child who is just, you know, they're not happy, you know, whatever, whatever is they're down They're even, you know, maybe they're, they're thinking that, you know, some kids today are like, I'm depressed or I'm this or that. And whether they are, or aren't, you know, that I'm not one to judge that, but um, you know, is that, where does this come in? You know, telling them just get happy, be happy. And they're yeah, like, it's, how? It, it's a, it's a very fine line, Miriam. And I, I'm glad you're kind of bringing that to light. Um, you know, I have lots of different kids in and out of my house And uh, with having trauma uh, background, adopted kids and foster kids who've been through unbelievable amounts of trauma, uh, the get happy axiom, I can't quite give it to them in the exact same way Mm -hmm. I would my own biological girls who hear that often. So there's certainly alterations, adjustments that need to be based on experience and the background and even the temperament of each individual child. I think what's the important part, whether you're child is melancholy uh, in nature or super hyper and happy in nature or somewhere in between uh, is knowing your child well enough and modeling your perspective to change and crisis and difficulty and then encouraging them to always see beyond themselves, see beyond the exact moment, even when there's things very worthy of great tears and great distress and friendship issues and, you know, all the girls got invited in the class except for your daughter or you know, a crush on a guy and he said he doesn't want to go out or or vice versa, or you get an F on a test that you really worked hard for or, or you didn't get into the college you wanted. I mean, those are legitimate things to be sad about, 
And again, my father's principle was not don't be sad, recognize what the sadness is, grieve it, and, and make sure you do release those emotions. But then immediately start saying, okay, if that angle isn't going to be there, or if this potential opportunity is not going to be there, what can I do now to find happiness still and find movement so that I do not let one certain situation or even a season of life identify me and I be defined by this sadness or defined by this moment uh, so that you can keep moving forward? So really, Miriam, as you stated, it's a journey experience to be get happy, not not just one singular event or one singular moment. Right. I love that. And I like that you explained, you know, and you have to know your kids. And and that's something like I do with my kids. You know, one of them will be, like you said, upset or sad about something, rightly so. But I think it's important to, you know, acknowledge it and talk about it and let them know it's okay to be, you know, like you said, it's okay to be sad or, or down or upset or frustrated, whatever the emotion is. It's okay. Let's talk about it. But then like, let's, you can't stay there though. That's right. So how how are we gonna let's figure out how we're gonna move on and get to that that next step and 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 get happy, you know, so to speak. So just to, to move on from that. Yeah, and that's one of his next principles you know about in the book, the fix it. So fix it was one of his yeah. other sayings, and, and that's what <laughs> yeah, he was fix saying. It, focus and will. That's right. Get happy to fix it. So once you recognize then and understand now, what can you do? Fix it sounds like it's deterministic and like you just block other people and do whatever the heck you want. And that's not at all what he meant. Um, you know, in my case, with all my struggles with my energy and discipline, and it was like, how are we going to learn to contain ourselves in a way that gets you through school? So quit saying you can't behave, quit saying you won't behave and start saying, this is how I will behave. You fix the mental position and then you work on the behaviors and then you work on the relationships and it's a continuum. And the fact that I've had such a wide variety of children in my house is like a walking lab for me of of recognizing certain principles work better with one child than the other. And you still use them all, um, but you frame them based on personality and temperament. And and this generation, in my opinion, as a therapist who's been working with kids for 30 years now, is is this generation's a little more fat, fragile, the children. Uh, they're, they don't have quite as much endurance or perseverance as part of their natural DNA. I'm not blaming them. If anything, we should be blamed as parents. <laughs> but it's just the way it is. And so mm-hmm. these kind of um, modalities my dad believed in and, and used in his philosophy of teaching college students or his own children, I think are super valuable, super important. And I, I was laughing as you were talking about the fix it because, and I was thinking about what you just mentioned, you know, that it's like, I think that a lot of parents, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I've never been guilty of this, but I think, like you said, it's just kind of like, well, no, I, I, you know, I'll fix it for them. Or, you know, when a kid says they can't do it or I'm not going to do it. Well, okay. It's okay. If you, if it makes you uncomfortable or, you know, you don't like it, it's okay. We'll just don't do it. Yeah. I think we end up creating a lot more anxiety for our children than we realize by trying to protect them from the very things they need to go through in order to become adults like we are. And yes, we had really difficult things that happened to us as children and, Sometimes we look back and wish those wouldn't happen, but most of those partly helped us develop and become who we are today. And sometimes we just want to shelter our kids from the very pain they need in order to grow. Yeah. Coming from a good place, I think, you know, most times you want to protect your kids. It's hard to see your kids hurting and and things like that. But um, yeah, I think it's not really doing them any favors when you're too much like that. 
yeah, it, it just creates their feeling of codependence that they actually need us to make some of those decisions for them. And certainly we want to contain their behavior and make sure it's safe and appropriate. But uh, we do need to let them start making those decisions and walk through those difficult fires and trials and, and difficulties and then be right there with them, cheerleading and encouraging and processing with them afterwards, but never giving them the feeling that they can't do it or they shouldn't do it or just walk away from it. Because as we all know, especially as we get older, life is truly difficult. It is very hard. And you got to work through these yeah. uh, issues of perseverance and endurance and not giving up on self or uh, not believing in self anymore and believing of your capabilities. We're going to take a quick break. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the third one, which is one of my favorites and one um, I've heard a lot from a certain member of your family. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Okay, we're back talking with Elliot, Pastor Elliot Anderson, and we're going through these principles from your book, Simon Says, all about your father. And you have a ton of experience being a father, like we've mentioned in many different ways, too. And so um, the third one, make it happen, determination and drive. And I was joking before, but you know, this is probably one of your sister's favorite ones, right? Absolutely. <laughs> She's got uh, labels of make it happen bags and make it happen notebooks. And yes, she does. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's really... Um, but I love it. Again, it seems like simple, but it isn't. But just like, it doesn't mean that you can do... I think that like, there's some ways, a couple ways to look at this. You know, it doesn't mean like, make it happen. You can do anything. You can be a pro sports, pro, you know, a professional basketball player when you're not, and they're not good. That's not what it's saying. No, not at all. It, it's actually a, a very realistic mantra of whatever it is in your life that you need to have happen, go after it. Be willing to pursue your dreams and pursue your, your, uh, your goals, uh, but be realistic and, and understand who you are and, and not pie in the sky uh, philosophy or activities, but recognize your giftings and encourage yourself to step into those. And sometimes, uh, Miriam, for, for a child that might want to try out for the basketball team, that is making it happen. They know they're not very good, but they just yeah. want to experience being on the team. And, and so it's saying, okay, I can handle this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the risk and the vulnerability to try out for the team. I might get cut, but the experience of trying is worth the possible rejection. Um, we have to build up the resiliency mm -hmm. in ourselves to go after things in life. Uh, because otherwise we tend to be passengers or we tend to be just receivers. And I'm not talking about temperament and personality. Some kids are going to be more reserved and more laid back or more introverted. That's totally fine. Uh, for them, it might be a, a project they want to do at home. Um, I've talked to young children who want to write books. And they say, well, maybe someday when I'm adult, I'm like, why not, why not start now? Why not make that dream yeah. start now? Start, start writing some short dramas or some small pieces or narratives or plays or things of that nature. It's just like the actualization of self, Miriam, to just say, this is kind of who I think I am at age 12. It might be totally different at 17. It might be different at 27. But for now, I'm going to try to make this happen by really setting my mind to it, committing myself to giving it my best shot and, and following through on things, not just telling people, oh, I really want to try out for the basketball team someday. Well, that someday could pass very quickly and you never did it. And so that is a season of regret then or disappointment in self. And so, again, it's not about just, oh, be super successful and be the most valuable player on the team or win some award in school. It's more about 
recognize who we are and walking into that and living into that in whatever capacity that means. I think being aware of like, you want something, I want to be on this team, I want to get this grade, I want to do this or that. Well, what did you do to make it happen? That's right. You know, like if you didn't, you know, what's your plan? Did you follow that plan? Or did you not really, you know, did, was there not much that you did? And so that's why it didn't happen. And planning is a big part of it. When I teach this in the college level, Miriam, for my personality class, we have a make it happen um, sheet of paper, a document to build their plan. And it's, you know, after several weeks in the class already. So we've worked on goals and we've talked about different aspects of what we want in life, who we are, our desires, our will, our passions. We've analyzed all these things and we say, okay, we're going to make it happen, a plan to put in place. You don't want it to just be a a mental thought, you want to put it into action. It gets different parts of your brain involved. You want to communicate what that plan is to others so there's accountability. It really can get some life and energy moving through the activation of your yourself, your writing, your speaking, and your doing. They all need to be collaborated together to go after it. Mm-hmm. And I've had, you know, even my, my kids at different times, you know, it's easy to blame if something doesn't something they wanted didn't happen. You know, I didn't get a good grade on that because of something about the teacher or I didn't play much, you know, that game or, or something or didn't do well because, you know, the coach didn't put me in this spot or whatever it might be. When in reality, you know, a lot of most more than not, it's like, well, wait a minute. And I have to stop them and say, how much did you study? Or did you practice, you know, that sport or that activity before the game? Did you, you know what I mean? Those kind of things. And usually it's no, but it's easy to blame, you know, someone else. And it's like, no, no, no. You had some good, most of the control there of making that happen or not. Yeah. That was one of the only times Miriam, my dad, especially with me, because I was the most competitive and, you know, rebelled the most in the family (laughs) was getting all the trouble. But that's the times once in a while he'd say something to me about that too, is like, it would be more like you have no idea what I had to go through in order to find myself. And I want you to find it sooner. I don't want you to go through what I had to go through. I didn't know the context, what he meant from his dad and, and all that stuff. I was just thinking of, I knew he's poor. I knew he grew up poor and things like that, but you know, he'd keep telling me, he'd keep believing in me. You see that in the book, he keep projecting my future and leadership and success before I even had any idea it was even possible. And so that's important too, even when your kids are wrestling. And and as you know, Miriam, some of my kids have gone through some really hard stuff as well and some trouble with the law and other things like I did. And, and, and so it's the same thing. I keep believing in them, keep projecting. Yes, there's consequences. Yes, there's responsibility. Yes, there's discipline. And you might not get to play in your games this weekend because of your behavior and what happened at school or, and again, not allowing the context of blame to be the primary. Well, if this wouldn't have happened or if that person would have said something or if this teacher, this coach, blah, 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 blah. Um, that was one of the areas for guys like my dad who grew up in trauma. Uh, they can't allow themselves to blame others for their future or they'll get stuck in that trauma and can't get out. And so it's always saying, Elliot, yes, your behavior, your hyperness, your, your socialness is right now causing you issues and you're going to have consequences from that, from the school and from me. But that very nature is going to make you a success once you learn to control yourself, contain yourself, believe in yourself, and, and learn how to apply, learn how to make it happen, these dreams you have. And so he wasn't shocked when I turned it around and all of a sudden was on Dean's list and succeeding in sports and music. Mm-hmm. He never acted like he was shocked. He's like, no, it's just, it was a matter of time. 
And I love that too, that he didn't act shocked. It was like, oh yeah, I, I knew. And he did. Like I, I knew and I believed that was going to happen um, just, you know, in the right timing. And I love that too, that he, you know, and you're saying, you know, as a father, as a parent, you know, take those things that at the time may seem negative. Absolutely. You can, you know, he did that flip, you know, he flipped it into a positive and you do that with your kids, you know, like, Hey, I know that, you know, this, this, and this, these are going to serve you well. And these are, can be good qualities to have. You're just not doing the right things with them at this moment. Yeah. And we can't deny the truth first. So we have to accept the truth first. Hey, you made a big mistake. You know, you mm-hmm. did this and this and this. We're, we're naming it what it is. And this is the result of that. And here's the consequences for me or the school or whatever, or, or the police, whatever the scenario is. But here's what I believe is happening to you as a person. Here's what we can see. Here's where we can grow. You know, always giving the reframe is what we call it in the therapeutic context. Always giving the reframe for the perspective without denying the truth. Um, so another one, watch close, small bear mentoring and modeling, you know, you mentioned, you know, how you, you live your life is more than, you know, what you say. And we hear that we've heard that, I think, but I think, um, for a lot of parents, it just, you know, we, we say these things, a lot of parents, you know, do this, do this, do this, but you know, your kids are watching everything that you do. Yeah. 100%. And we all have our moments, Miriam, right? So even a pastor therapist has moments oh, yeah. where, where he just loses it and says something damaging or hurtful or, you know, and going back and apologize. So we're not trying to present any kind of perfect parenting. And, and normal is my father, perfect parent by any means. So we're not projecting that, but we are projecting authenticity and allowing our children to see us as real people, but recognize our position. We are their parents. We are legally responsible for them. And so when they make a mistake uh, with their mouth or their behavior or their words, it impacts us as well and not shying away from our, our children, recognizing their accountability is beyond self. It's not just doing what I want to do and mom and dad can deal with it. The school can deal with it. They have to recognize that as well, that it's mutual. And so we need to be modeling that. We need to be showing that as well when something happens at work we don't like or what do we talk about on the way home from church? What do we talk about the pastor's sermon? What do we talk about other people in the church? You know, mm-hmm. all those minor ways of influence our children might be bigger in the long run than one big talk or one big situation uh, where we do a great job of connecting with them or relating to them in crisis. They're watching every word, every comment, every thought, and their attitudes are often shaped by our modeling. Yeah, I've seen things where I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, like something like, oh no, don't don't react that way. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's what I usually do. So <laughs> yeah, you know, they're exactly. doing just what I do. <laughs> so I just, you know, try to make that correction to myself. And I will say to them, you know, whatever kid it is, you know what? The reaction that you just said, I know that you've seen me do that. And that's not good. And that's something I'm gonna try to change and work on. So let's try to do that together. Yeah, that's an awesome way to do it, Miriam. That that's super important. And for my adopted boys, they were first in, in our family, our forever family. When some of my Cincinnati friends who knew me when I was super rebellious and, and getting in lots of trouble as a child and teenager, when they said things to me like, it's so amazing they're adopted because they act just like you did. And so it really made me look at that a little bit and say, okay, how have I accidentally almost influenced in the negative, some of their rebelliousness, some of their mouthiness, because it worked for me getting, finding myself and finding my place. And I had to, it was just a great reframe for self to say, you know what, I, I probably need to start 
containing these behaviors a little stronger now that they're getting into their puberty years because I don't want to accidentally make them feel or think that it's acceptable what they're doing, even though I totally understand it. And so that kind of right. recognition. Or like, but you turned out great, so I'll just do this now and then I'll turn out fine just like you did. Exactly. And we can't make those kind of uh, judgments. Those are irresponsible and inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, next one is sparkle and shine performance and presentation. And I'm going to let you talk about this in the night. There's definitely a part I want to point out. So don't steal my thunder. Well, I, <laughs> I hope I don't, but I have no way of knowing. Yeah. Um, one of the ironies of my dad and, and my brother has this a little bit too, Miriam, and you know him as well, is they are such gifted performers and leaders of their music and their teaching and on stage, but they're both high level introverts. And so my sister and I are high level extroverts. So uh, when we're on stage, our persona on stage, and yes, the Andersons all love to perform. We were on stage as early as nine, 10, 11 years old. I think Karen's first solo at church was eight. Um, and so that whole performance vibe uh, was just a big part of our family. And so there is this sparkle and shine attitude. My dad loved Frank Sinatra. That was his model and idol growing up do it my way. You know, a guy who had this charisma and the strength of character and this masculinity and could do what he wanted to do anti-establishment. Uh, and, and so my dad had that performance mindset that was not necessarily part of his real personality. And so that was really interesting for me to watch. And then I was super extroverted and loved performing, but wasn't comfortable enough with self to do it well early on. And so there's these balances in what sparkle and shine mean. And for me, as you know, Miriam, most of that early was my athletics, where I could use all that crazy energy in a way that earned quite a bit of uh, accomplishment. But that same energy was uh, difficult in the school and got me all kinds of consequences. <laughs> and so he, he did a great job of helping us recognize, uh, and this is the point I'm getting to in this storytelling here, how we sparkle and shine in life might be different than someone else. And, and we have to recognize our own rhythms and our own personality and and he would tell me all the time, Elliot, what you do on the athletic fields can be transferred to other parts of your life someday, but it might not happen right now. <laughs> he recognized the honesty in that. And, and I would ask him questions like, <laughs> you just got done talking to 1,500 people and handshaking and talking and hugging. And, and then he gets in the car and he's like, I just need to go home, have a beer and not see anybody for six hours. And I, I didn't understand that because for me, more and more social, just like Karen, you know, we just more and more people, more and more people. Uh -huh. uh, and so the whole sparkle and shine element of just be who you are, be comfortable with who you are. If you're a crazy extroverted, shine in that way. If you're an introverted bookworm, shine in that way. It's not about presenting a false set. It's about fully presenting self and being comfortable and loving yourself for who you are. And that makes everyone comfortable, yourself and others. And I think letting, you know, as a parent, you may have, like your your parents did, have kids that are total opposite, you know, um, yeah. and the way that they sparkle and shine is so different from one another and could be like you. So that's easy, you know, it's easier maybe to parent a child yeah. who is a lot like you, but maybe one that's really different from you might be a little bit out of your comfort zone, it's a little harder, but to realize that and accept and encourage that way that they would sparkle and shine, even if it's different from yours or different from their older sibling or whatever it is, um, to accept and, and even encourage that. 
a super valuable point. And one of my daughters, you know them well, Miriam, who's more introverted. Um, she told me one time, and it was really helpful. She said, Dad, when we go out together to Target or something, when you are so extroverted, and everyone's a friend of mine when I'm at Target. I don't know if I've met them before or not, but I love having random strange conversations. <laughs> yeah, same. And she said, when, when you're really on, you know, really like in your mode, she goes, it makes me more introverted and more shy, and it's hard for me to feel totally comfortable. And I was so thankful she told me because I can downscale it a little bit, mm-hmm. and I need to, to align my sparkle with my daughter's sparkle so that she felt comfortable. And the moment for her was just more about me and daddy at the store and, and trying to frame that in a way so I can recognize my sparkle shouldn't inhibit other sparkle. And, and we have to allow people to shine in their own capacity. And so, like you said, all of our kids are different. All of them like different things in different ways. And uh, we really need to seek to understand our children, spend enough time with them and, and talk to them, ask them those difficult questions to, to hear more or ask them the ones about ourselves. Hey, when daddy's in his extroverted mode, talking to everyone like their best friend, instead of assuming they like that, I needed to ask, <laughs> how is that for you? And then she might've told me years earlier, it's actually a little embarrassing and I don't always like it. <laughs> But I love that she, first of all, that she was able to come to you and tell you that. And she knew you weren't going to get, you know, mad or blow her off or whatever. So that's something right there that that speaks of you, you know, in your relationship with her, that she was able to do that. And then that in turn, you didn't just say like, oh, that's who I am. Or, oh, come on, you know, whatever. You, you took it to heart. And you're like, hey, even though that's how I would normally act. And that's like maybe, you know, but to her, it's important if I don't. So like you said, I'll dial it, dial it back a little bit. Yep. And now, you know, now, now that she's in college, now when we go do something together, I'll just simply ask her, hey, what kind of mode are you in today? How, how do you feel about me? And, you know, what do we want to make this trip about? And it, it sounds <laughs> weird and awkward, but it actually works quite well because then we'll just kind of set that mode. And, and this won't surprise you, Miriam, at I all. I love that. You guys found a system that works. Yeah. Yeah. And Karen, I love and I, that. this won't surprise you, but Karen and I would like, before we'd go somewhere like that together, we'd say, Hey, do you want to talk British today? Do you want to pretend we have our own language? We would just do all these strange and creative extroverted social things. Of course, we both end up psychologists, which is pretty funny, but uh, yeah, it's just. Yeah, understanding right. I love it. I'm going to read a little part of this chapter about sparkle and shine that I just, I loved it. So, okay. um, But Frank, okay, I'm just going to read a little bit. But frankly, Simon didn't give his kids the chance to doubt themselves for too long. When we didn't feel capable, confident, or charismatic, he spoke these qualities into us. He believed we could sparkle and shine even when we weren't so certain ourselves. One of Karen's cherished teenage memories perfectly exemplifies this. Like most girls, she spent hours primping for a special event, dance, or prom. She'd select the right dress, get her hair just so, and perfect her makeup. Once she put her look together, dad would exclaim with pride, Nancy, get over here. There's a Hollywood star in the house, a ravishing beauty. As a self-conscious 15-year-old, Karen didn't always feel self-assured in that moment, but armed with her dad's adoration and firm belief in her sparkle, she stepped into the evening shining brightly. So I love that for so many reasons. For one, I know, you know, obviously that's Karen. So that's um, my girl. So, but it just made me like, so, I mean, if you didn't know your dad, you would love him that just from that alone, you know, yeah. just that he did that. I love that. Um, and that he, he knew that maybe, you know, at that moment she wasn't maybe a hundred percent, 
confident in that moment. So he, he knew that, like you said, he believed we could sparkle and shine even when we weren't so certain ourselves. So he, he just believed that so much and talked that to you. Um, so by saying that, you know, even though she was 15 and probably partly rolled her eyes like, oh, dad, I know that she that meant the world to her. And obviously it did because she remembered it, you know, all these years later and you put it in the book. Yeah. And I mean, I think her podcast and her platform of teaching and writing is kind of based in that kind of modality right there. It just goes to show you, you know, obviously just just the the influence and impact we can have on our kids, even just by something like that. You know, that didn't that wasn't a huge thing. You know, it didn't take a lot of effort from your dad. I mean, that's how he lived and how he raised you. But just by saying that, you know, what an impact that had on her. And yeah. And, and when I became a psychologist and father myself, Miriam, recognizing that he didn't have a father who gave him that like I did. So it became pretty easy mm-hmm. for me to do that with my children. But, you know, he had awful teeth and he's so poor. His clothes were ratty. I don't think he ever felt handsome and strong in typical ways. And I don't want to share some of the abuse stories because I'll start crying on air. But, you know, he didn't have that. And so the fact that he could give that to the three of us is, again, for any of your listeners that also have struggled with their family of origin, we can give our children what we didn't have. It's harder. More intentionality, more forgiveness, mm-hmm. more uh, intentionality of you know getting happy and making it happen. All those things my father did for himself. All these lessons he gave us, he had to do for himself first, Miriam. I think that's one of the most important pe- things for our listeners to understand mm-hmm. is we have to do it inside internally first, and then we can give it to our children and use it in our parenting of our community. Because once we give that kind of parenting, we're giving our kids friends, we're giving it in the community, we're giving it at the church, at the club. We're going to be parental in everything we do. Such good stuff. I love it. I love it. We're going to take another quick break and we'll come back and kind of talk about uh, a little bit more of these principles um, from your book and principles that you, you, your father lived by and that you father um, by as well. So we'll be right back. Hey, this is Miriam from Apparently Speaking. Join the Mazda family like I did at Montrose Mazda Kent. You'll love the selection of new and used cars and lease options. We are on our third car from Kent Mazda. We keep going back because of the ease of purchase, and it has been by far the best deal we could find each time. Montrose Mazda Kent, they go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. Okay, we're back. And Elliot, I know just for time's sake, I mean, there's so much more I want to talk about and we could go through. And I also want people to buy the book um, so that they can get all of it and and read all the stories that go along with it. I love how you just weaved in the stories um, with all of these principles. And um, so I know some of the things left we talked about um, in the book, you know, discipline and authority, encouragement and belief, faith and family, uh, rhythm and responsibility, joy and passion. Let's just talk about those, whatever you think is most important, you know, not most important, but that some takeaways for parents. I know, um, well, I don't want to jump ahead. So I'm going to let you. Yeah. I, I think, um, one of the kind of axioms he used that didn't get in this particular book, but as I was thinking and praying about being on your show, I thought, you know, I want to talk about this in some context. And it's the, it's the balance of high expectations, but with much grace and praise. So it's really, you know, giving your, your children the belief that they can fulfill their goals and achieve their dreams realistically, not, not ridiculous stuff, 
but expect a lot out of them. Expect a lot out of our children. Give our young boys in particular responsibility early because research continues to show that our young boys are growing up later and later and later. They're not getting to adulthood to like 25. And, and I think at times we baby them. And so I think this idea of high expectations, you know, really setting high standards, keeping the bar high academically, emotionally, mentally, physically, athletically, musically, artistically, any of those areas, but then a ton of grace when we see the effort, when we see the energy, a ton of grace, uh, and and then a a lot of belief so that we can give them things that they might not have right away, believing in them and believing in self, and and then recognition that we need praise. You know, the, the statistics have been this way for years, Miriam, that takes about nine positives to outweigh one negative. And so I'm not saying we shouldn't criticize or ever, you know, get on our child for doing inappropriate things, but just recognize they own that one and they will outweigh the next seven positives until we get that, that ratio moving again. So again, the, the toughness or the directness about what we expect and the standards, and then balancing that with the grace, the belief, and, and the opportunity to to uh, be positive in our, our contributions, our communications. Yeah, I love that you shared that because, right, you can have high, ex- you should have high expectations that are realistic, you know what I mean? Um, and then you just, they're, they're still kids, so they need, even adults, I mean, we need, we all need grace and praise, you know, still as adults. Um, and so our kids need even more just to know, you know, some things that you, you, some other things, you know, just positive reinforcement and, and something you said, you know, he chose about your dad. He chose to believe in us even when we failed. Yeah. And that's evident. And you gave a lot of examples of that so that he didn't just say, oh, gosh, you know, you're a failure. It's just It was like, no, hey, you're still going to you're still going to make it happen, you know, and and the freedom, you know, to be yourself within a family, I think is really important. It just goes along with that, you know, all of that grace and praise, like you said. So I'm, it's really important. I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, his whole bravo, uh, the whole chapter about encouragement yeah. and positivity. And sometimes when they fail, we need to be more encouraging than when they succeed. Oh, I really, that's really interesting because, yeah, it's it's obviously very easy to when your kid's doing well and they did great and they're the superstar or whatever it is in whatever area, you know, it's like you're yay, we're so great, you know, um, and you're constantly praising and talking about them and excited. But then when they're failing, I mean, it's, you know what I mean? How are we acting then? Yeah. One of the things, this didn't, didn't go in the book, Miriam, but you'll love this. Uh, one of the times I was getting in trouble at school and my dad had to come in and have meetings with the principal. And he always did a great job of just kind of repeating the consequences that the school gave and then giving me his own. And then always immediately pointing me towards the future and and projecting Hmm. when you get this figured out, you're smarter, smarter than your siblings. When you get this figured out, you'll do great things. You will have as many degrees as you want. You know, he's always projecting forward, even though the consequence was there. And one time with his sarcastic humor, because he was also very funny uh, and sometimes a little biting because he and I were the most competitive spirits. We would um, get a little more intense in our banter sometimes. But one time he said, Elliot, if the school ever makes I'm the proud father of a D student, I will slap that bumper sticker on my car. <laughs> and I thought it was hysterical, but I understood what he was telling me. I'm still his son. Yeah. And he still believes yeah. in me and still will support. 
And rather than when, you know, you did something wrong, you got in trouble, rather than just keep, you know, reminding you of what you did wrong and how could you do that? I can't believe you would do that and da da da. It's like you said, you he you talked about it, consequences, but then it was like when you get this figured out, you're gonna be this and this, you're gonna do this and this and this. I love that it was, you know, negative, but he he turned it to a positive. You already knew what you did wrong. There was no reason to keep, you know, talking about it and making you feel worse. But it goes along with everything. Make it happen. Everything. Fix it. Okay. But what are we going to do now? You know, we, you're going to be able to get this fixed and make it happen. Yeah. And he he wasn't. You know, he Warren was so gifted academically and so structured and organized and winning so many academic awards right away and all that. That made it difficult, obviously, for me also as a second son following that. But when he was saying those things, Miriam, he was never telling me like, "Oh, you're going to be an A student in high school." In fact, he would project almost the reality. He said, you know what? Your entire academic career might be a struggle. But if you can hold on hmm. and make your way to your degrees and get into college where you have more freedom, then you can choose what you like to study. He said, trust me, if you just keep after it, keep plugging away, get enough done to stay eligible, which was a huge issue for me, obviously, athletically, and, and to move forward. So he mm-hmm. wasn't, I, I just want to make sure your listeners recognize he wasn't saying something like, well, if you just change your attitude, you're going to get all A's. I, I think he recognized yeah. when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, that wasn't going to happen right away. Yes, my test scores were good. He knew I was bright, but he was also accepting the recognition of who I was, how I was, and my best success wouldn't be in the classroom until later. And he knew that. He understood it as an educator. And he and had he cool. said that to you at that age? Yeah, sorry. I say, had he said that to you at that age, you wouldn't have believed him. You would have just said, you know, he's just saying that because he's my dad. Yeah. Yeah, it has to have the right context and the right timing. And, you know, my boys struggled a lot academically as well. And I was able to use pretty similar principles, even though they didn't have the test scores I did. Um, And both boys were on the dean's list already in college now. And that's coming from a very difficult middle school, high school experience. And they felt that ownership themselves. It wasn't like, oh, dad believed in us. They recognized I'm figuring myself out. I'm learning how to be disciplined helps that they're in sports administration. So they're in something they really love, but they, they, they right, did the similar yeah. process. So it was great to see it work again with my own boys who struggled. That's so cool. And he, um, be very proud and happy, you know, to see that as he, as he is. So, yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. And you said your boys were similar to you. And so you got to use, you know, and these principles work, they're going to work no matter what your kid is like, Absolutely. because they're not just for a certain type of kid. No, not at all. And Karen and Warren are very different. All the grandkids are very different. Yeah, the principles right. work throughout. And they're not they are not guaranteeing us that our kids aren't going to struggle or make mistakes or have great issues. That's not the point sure. either. It's, it's mainly what do we do? How do we live in the present and work on our perspective and our and these principles of life to be as positive and secure and strong as we can? Elliot, I loved having you on. Um, it was really fun and, and really extra special for me. So I really appreciate it. And so many good things to share um, about fatherhood, but even even for moms. I mean, these are things I'm like, yeah, I, I can do that. I need to work better at that, you know, and thinking um, about myself as a parent as we were going through these. So it's really for anyone, but um, I really appreciate you coming on and please tell the listeners how they can find your book and your other books and things like that. Yes. Thank you, Miriam. It was really fun. It just felt like uh, back at Judson, we were on campus walking around talking or at Karen's <laughs> house. So it was quite easy. So thank you for being a great hostess. 
Yeah, the um, publishing company that houses uh, most of my books and my sister's and my father's is Clifton Hills Press. And that's in Valparaiso, Indiana, where my sister lives now. And you can go to that website and find all of our books. And my sister's platform is Love and Life, loveandlifemedia.com. And uh, Karen and I do a lot of podcasts on there about all kinds of issues. We just recorded one last week about passive males and how that impacts relationships and fatherhood. And uh, on there as well are ways you can actually work with my sister or I or me uh, in therapeutic ways or consulting as well. So there's lots of avenues. Of course, if you're ever in the Elgin, Illinois area and at Judson University, you can look me up that way. Uh, And opportunities to teach and preach or anything are all on those websites. Great. Definitely look him up. Get the book. Simon Says Principles and Perspectives from Dr. Simon B. Anderson, loveandlifemedia.com. And you have other books as well, like you mentioned, and so does Karen. And so thank you so, so much. Um, Very special to me. Super fun. Um, So thank you again. You're quite welcome. It was a blast. This episode is sponsored by Montrose Mazda Kent. They go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. Thank you for listening to Apparently Speaking. Listen and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and iHeartRadio. Find the podcast and much more at NortheastOhioParent.com. Like Apparently Speaking on Facebook and email me at podcast at NortheastOhioParent.com.